what would it look like if we lived in such a way that as the scriptures declare, Christ is truly sufficient for us? Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. Well, good morning and uh, welcome again. I don't normally uh, call people out uh, at this point in the service, but uh, I just have to extend a special welcome to uh, somebody who's been around the world for a, many no- a good number of months. So Preston, welcome back uh, from, from Germany. Uh, it's good to see you. It's a great surprise this morning. And uh, so, well, uh, thank you, Jonathan, for that prayer. Uh, our scripture text for the sermon today is John chapter 3. Uh, John chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 1 and, and really just the whole chapter. Um, But this is a text where Jesus has a conversation with a leader in the Jewish community. So I'll read verses 1 through 9. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born anew, for the wind blows where it wills, and you hear the sound of it. But you do not know whence it comes or where it goes, so it is the same way with everyone who is born of the Spirit of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can this be? Uh, May God add his blessing to the reading of his word today. One of the hallmarks of Christianity, one of the primary characteristics of being God's people, as frustrating as it is, is learning how to go how to follow, how to lead when we have no idea where we're going. Therefore, Christians employ the virtue of courage and we engage in the art of holy conversation as the means for arriving at an active believing which will carry us to all the destinations of God's calling. Now, the season of Lent arrives on the scene. The season of Lent, which is the 40 days approaching Easter, uh, where we journey together as faith communities all around the world, as we journey towards the cross together, uh, it's, it's a season of, of evaluation and allowing God to look into our soul, and we're just kind of taking inventory of all that is going on within us and asking God to bring light into all the places of our lives. Uh, the, so the season of Lent, occurs to me as a time, it arrives on the scene as a time when we have been called to walk in the darkness. It's a time to follow the trails that we don't know yet, but we've heard about. We've heard that there are pathways that lead to life that we haven't walked yet, and this is a great time to start. Go, God said to Abram, 
from your country, from your kindred, and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. To the land that I will show you later. (laughs) But for now, go. Just go ahead and take off. And I'll let you know later where the land is that I'll show you. Because the world changes and our lives change. We feel the pain of that every day. And we look for God, as we should, for stability and peace. But very often, God's way of granting peace to us is by leading us into a new territory. New spacious places, as the psalmist said. New spacious places to stand. New places where our feet find the sturdy ground of God's promises. Walking along the good path of the trusting present toward the solid ground of the unknown future, we begin to see things that we have not seen before. We begin to let go of things that we would otherwise hold on to, but that do not bring us real life. We begin to believe more deeply, or perhaps we begin to believe again. We begin to let go of a faith which seeks contrived results and signs for the sake of themselves in order to pick up a faith that leads us to the source of the signs. Uh, This Lent season, we're exploring the theme of enough. We're asking the question, what would it look like if we lived in such a way that, as the Scriptures declare, Christ is truly sufficient for us? for our lives, for our communities, for our families? In what ways is Christ sufficient? In, which, in what ways is he enough? What does that mean when we say that? You know, Jesus is enough. And so we're trying to explore these themes where in a, in a world where we're constantly plagued with anxiety and scarcity, looking at uh, God and his presence and his gifts to us as providing a sense of enough. Enough. For the world that we live in. So we turn now to John chapter 3, where we discover that, among other things, Jesus is enough for the burning conversations in every single one of us. Jesus is enough for the burning conversations within all of us. John sets this story up really well. It's very beautiful. This is a fun. Uh, Bible study text uh, to sit down and read or discuss with a group. There's all kinds of great imagery and illusions. There's a lot of light and darkness play in this story and the one that follows in chapter 4, which Amberly will tackle next week. Uh, I, get, I left the hard one for her. Um, but uh, it's a great little setup here. If you look at the way that chapter 2 ends, uh, Jesus or John tells us that now when, the, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not trust himself to them because he knew all men and needed no one to bear witness of man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Do you hear the Five times the word man, and sometimes it's referring to mankind, and sometimes it's referring to a guy named Nicodemus. And I think John's setting that up to give us this Nicodemus character as someone who speaks for all of humanity. He speaks for the burning questions, for the burning conversations in all of us, 
as we engage Jesus, as we sort of quietly sometimes and at night we approach Jesus and we sort of raise our hand quietly, Jesus, I have something I want to say or I want to ask and I've never had the courage to ask, but I'm going to ask you tonight. I've not had the courage to come and bring this to you, but I'm doing it tonight. Um, I love this, this image of this, this vision of this conversation that's happening in the dark and Jesus fielding these questions and just responding with grace to an inquisitive leader in the faith community. Uh, I think very often conversations at this level, at this soul level of our belief and our understanding and of our wrestling with God, our wrestling with the things of God, so many times they seem to happen at night. Think about the places that you have these kinds of conversations, right? Of course, we have them in church and we have them in Bible study settings, but very often we have them in church vans after a week of camp or after a long mission trip and we're on the way home and we're talking about things that we haven't thought of in a while. Or you have them at the bar when you're at the bottom of the barrel, you know, and you're sitting there talking to other people. You're going, man, I hadn't told anybody this. I got to say it. It's about to kill me. Uh, Or you're uh, out, you know, somewhere in a different place, you're on vacation, you're in a feed pickup somewhere, you're in the living room, you're in uh, a lunch meeting with somebody that you trust across the table. I remember a conversation that I had with a fellow youth director when I was a, a youth director in shallow water and, and we uh, were having a conversation. He had, he had invited me to go ride around uh, and, and the place where he was from and we were just kind of riding around seeing the sights and it was getting late and we're driving around and, you know, looking for calling coyotes or whatever we were doing. And uh, he, started, he started talking to me and he said, um, he said Ryan, I, uh, there's this verse in the New Testament that, I'm really having a hard time with. And he said, it leads me to believe that I'm a person that could not be forgiven for some of the things that I've done. And, um, and here was this guy that I looked up to. And I thought, man, he, was, he, was, he always had all the, you know, he was well-versed, grew up in a Christian home and all the stuff. He said, I just, I've le- I'm left with that flavor in my mouth that I'm, you know, that this is not for me because of these barriers. And it was one of the most holy conversations that I've ever had. And of course, I didn't leave that day thinking that was going to happen. And that's how these conversations sometimes work. They just, they show up and someone opens the door. Sometimes they just crack the door and, uh, and, and then light begins to go in and you hear stories that people have not been willing to talk about or some questions that people have that they haven't really known a trustworthy source to talk to about it. And so I remember it was just so uh, enlivening as we discussed some of the counter arguments to his own argument that we all feel sometimes that maybe uh, this is not for me. Maybe I've gone too far in a certain direction and God can't call me back. Uh, there's no forgiveness for me. And so one of the great joys that we have as Christians is being those safe havens, those safe places for those kind of conversations when they come to us, uh, which we very, very uh, infrequently actually get to plan. We look at this text in John 3, and John is really ramping up this idea that we have to believe deeply in Jesus, whatever that means. We have to, we have to believe. This is the necessary criteria. And uh, John, in John's gospel, the word believe never occurs in the noun form. It's never referred to as belief. It's never a noun. It's always a verb. And it carries with it, therefore, this this active motion, this 
punch of this leaning, this energy that goes into this reality of believing. It's a powerful way of, I associate with like leaning all your weight on something. It's trying to see if all of my weight can bear up under this thing that I've been asked to believe in. Can all of the weight of my life and our hunger and thirst, can it all be borne up in the person of Jesus Christ? Can we trust him in that way? Can we lean all of our weight on Jesus? Or uh, is, is that not going to work? And so Nicodemus has this question. I mean, he's wrestling with it. He's going, I, I don't know how this works exactly, but I've seen just enough to know that I don't want to miss out. And I want to know what's happening here. And so they engage in this great conversation. And you know, um, John tells us that Nicodemus was a teacher. He was a ruler of the Jews. Uh, he was, I think of him as kind of like your favorite Sunday school teacher. Like this guy knows his stuff. He's been teaching people about the kingdom of God for a long time. This is not some Johnny-come-lately who wandered into the university center at Tech and wants to espouse his crazy ideas because he's finding himself or something like that. Uh, that's not this guy. He's not, uh, he, he knows his stuff. He's a leader. He's a teacher. He is well-versed in the kingdom of God. And he's coming to Jesus saying, I know that you come from God, Jesus, because I've learned to pay attention to when God's working, and I've seen you do some stuff that tell me that you can only come from God. So what's the story here? What's going on? And Jesus responds, truly, truly, I say to you, um, this is a, what we call the double amen. It happens three times in the, how Jesus responds. And uh, in the old King James, it was translated, verily, verily. Remember that? Verily, verily, I say unto thee. Or truly, truly. But it's really just the word amen that kind of goes untranslated from the Hebrew because it's sort of a liturgical phrase. We see it in the Psalms. And it's a way of just sort of nailing it down and saying, absolutely, steadfastly, surely, surely. And Jesus comes around and says this three times to Nicodemus. Hey, as sure as the sun rises, let me tell you how this works. Unless one is born again or born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says again, well, how can a man be born when he's old? How does this work? Or you expect me to re-enter you know, my mother's womb and be born again? I don't understand how this is going to work. But Jesus answers again, amen, amen. Surely, surely, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, God is breathing his life into all things. God is breathing his life everywhere. He's like telling the teacher of the Jews, he's like, remember Ezekiel and the valley of the dry bones? Remember when there was no life in the valley and God began to breathe life? Remember Ezekiel's vision? And remember in our baptism ceremonies when we sprinkle water on people and we affirm that they are clean? And it's like John the Baptist said, hey, I'm, I'm here baptizing with water, but there's gonna, one that's going to come after me and he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you have to be born of water and the Spirit. There has to be a conversion, something that's happening. God has to breathe new life into your soul to really get at these promises, to live in this way. That's how these things are going to be. And Nicodemus replies in verse 9, how can these things be? And I stopped the formal reading there, and the story goes on, but I just I love that we're left with this cliffhanger of Nicodemus going, how in the world does this work? How can these things be? 
And I think this helps me to see, it helps us to see that Nicodemus is such a gift to the church, right? He's such a gift to us in all generations because always there are times in all of our lives and there are people at all times who need to be reminded that it's okay to ask questions of God. It's very good, actually, that it's okay to have doubt on your way to belief. And actually, the strongest belief that ever comes along, it's usually been tempered pretty well by good doses of doubt. And that's how we get there. That's the pathway that we make. If we never face doubts and we never ask honest questions, then our belief will always remain at a very shallow level. It won't take those next steps into maturity. And Nicodemus is illustrating that for us. And actually, as John tells the story, he brings Nicodemus back up a couple of more times as John's gospel goes on, as if to say, uh, this guy is getting it. He's picking it up bit by bit, but he's getting in on the life. And everything's at stake, right? He's talking about the kingdom of God, which later he talks about eternal life. And these things can be used synonymously here. There's a life that is found in God that we can participate in now. The kingdom of God, eternal life. And it's also the same life that we have the promise of participating in forever. So eternal life, the kingdom of God, they carry with them this understanding that, yeah, this is the life that you can have forever. The hope, the promise that when we die, we don't have to be alone, that our lives are not over when this body gives out on us. But it's at the same time a life that enters into us now. As soon as we begin believing in Jesus and and then we come through the waters of baptism and this life is in us and all around us. Uh, John says later in chapter 17 that this is eternal life, that you may believe in Jesus Christ. Right? That, that this, this knowing, uh, or it says that you may know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he's sent, uh, that we, this knowing God is, that's what eternal life is all about. And so we get to start that eternal life. We get to start uh, participating in the kingdom of God now by knowing Jesus. And by knowing one another in that context, we experience new life. Nicodemus, um, excuse me, Jesus transitions here. He's, he's, he continues to talk to Nicodemus, but he kind of transitions. There's a point where he stops saying you, Nicodemus, and he kind of starts saying y'all, uh, as in the community, whoever's listening, uh, the other Jews that are gathered, the disciples who are there. And he goes into these famous verses about God loving the world so much that he gives his only son. And before that, there's this bit that always seems to come up, uh, it seems like three years ago when this comes around in the cycle, it was right around the same time of Rattlesnake Roundup, so I don't know what that's about. But, um, but this, the story of Moses that, that Nicodemus would have known uh, and the serpent in the wilderness, remember, and the people are complaining, about, uh, complaining to God and they're complaining about Moses and there's these fiery serpents that are killing people. And so the, Moses goes to God and he pleads on the people's behalf and is like, please, the people, they're hard, you know, they're hard-headed and they're not coming around but just spare them for a minute. Let's get this back on track. And so God uh, answers Moses' request, and he tells Moses to go get a, a bronze serpent, right, and lift it up on a, on a pole. And anybody that looks at that, it'll be like an antivenom, and they'll live uh, even if they've been bit by the snakes. And so it's, it's this, uh, this visual for a Jewish audience of saying the same thing is happening with the Son of God. Uh, God says, I'm bringing this antivenom into the world, and he is being lifted up. 
that anyone who looks at him, anyone who believes in him, can have the life that he gives. That's the hope. That's the promise. They don't have to fear death, for they have life in believing. I want to close uh, by just inviting us to um, more of what, what we would call, what we might call holy conversations. You know, um, our, our culture, and you, you all are, are, are well-versed in this, and you practice this, and I see it, and I've had these conversations with you, uh, but you know as well as I do that we don't live in a culture that's friendly to holy conversations. Our public discourse is usually not what we would call a holy conversation. Uh, we don't know how to have conversations with people that we disagree with. Uh, we don't know how to conversation, have conversations with people without calling them names, uh, but the church has always been the ground where people knew how to have conversations with each other, recognizing that because God lives within you and God lives within me, when we speak to one another, there is a holy conversation that is happening. And so you and I, even as we make small talk, and even as we talk about the deeper things, God is present in those conversations. And you know this, and you've been called to be priests to the world in this way. Our holy conversations that we have with God and that we have with other people are like burning bushes. They're, they're everywhere all the time. And it's like every once in a while we see, we see it for what it is and we begin to take our shoes off and we stop and we pay attention to the subtle effects of the Spirit of God that are blowing in our midst. I remember what Jesus told Nicodemus. He said, hey, uh, the, the wind, it blows, and don't we know that in West Texas? You know, it blows all the time, and we see the effects of it. We can hear the sound of it, but we don't see the wind. It's the same way, he says, with those who are born of the Spirit of God. That's how we live in the world. We're sort of this uh, wind force that is working all the time to bring God's Spirit, to bring life into the world, for life to be breathed in and around us all the time. And it's... It's something to behold. And Nicodemus is just starting to get his mind wrapped around it. We're just starting to get our minds wrapped around it. We're being reminded of it. But this is what it's like to follow Jesus in the world. That's why the, the Irish, you know, the Celtic Christians used to call the Holy Spirit the wild goose. Because they were just going, man, we don't know how to explain this stuff other than to just say this, this God is, he's wild. You know, we, we find ourselves doing stuff. We go places and we serve people that we would never have gone before. Uh, so there must be something wild about the character of God and the Spirit of God that would call us to places that we would never otherwise go. And it occurs to me that Jesus is enough for these burning conversations within us and that the church is strong enough to host these conversations. You know, we are not some feeble institution that's always just like on the verge of collapse that, oh no, we can't upset the apple cart. The church is the strongest, most powerful institution in the world. We can handle holy conversations, even when they're hard. And by golly, we should be able to handle going into the future that we don't fully understand yet, because that's our DNA. That's our birthright. That's who we are as the people of God. We never know where we're going, and yet we go because we trust the God who's calling us to go there. And so Nicodemus is a great reminder of all of the conversations 
that we can have with God, that we can help other people have with God. And so I wonder what it would look like for this season of Lent if we just committed to having one conversation like this with God. In these 40 days, what would it look like to have a conversation that looks like this? And maybe even to share that with somebody after you've had that conversation. One of those things going, I, God, I've always wondered about this, and I want to ask you this question now, or I'm having trouble, I'm, I'm hanging up on this thing right here. And then talk to somebody about it. What are you hearing? What are you seeing? What is that experience like? One step at a time. One conversation at a time. One response to the wild spirit of God at a time. And that's how we get there. Amen.